Glad you could join us for the Big Red Bench on this Saturday, the last Saturday before Christmas. Hope you've gotten your letter written off to Santa and you're on the nice list. We'll find out if Ryan's on the nice list very, very shortly. I'd have my doubts about that. But coming up on the Big Red Bench tonight, we are going to wrap up all today's action on today's Premier League action. We're going to talk to Cork City FC Chairman Declan Carey about the future of the FBI reaction from uh, Cork's win over Kerry last night in the Munster Hurling League uh, in Mallow and uh, we're also going to talk to uh, motorcyclist Ray Casey about his incredible year in 2019 and his plans for 2020 and more besides as well so all that's come between now and 7 o'clock listening to the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM I'm Rory O'Hagan, Ryan Grace is Ryan Grace and we're here until 7pm this evening 0868104106 if you'd like to get in touch or you can tweet us at Big Red Bench. Are you on the nice list Ryan? Actually offended that you insinuate I wouldn't be on the nice list. Like, of course like, I'm on the uh, nice list. How do you mean? Of course. That's like so immodest. <laughs> of course I'm on the nice list. Why but wouldn't I, I be? <laughs> but I've been good all year. How couldn't I be? Well. well I hope I am. You got me doubting myself now. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I was fairly sure before we came well, on air. We'll I find we'll, we'll find out on Wednesday if Santa leaves you presents or a lump of coal. Absolutely, absolutely. So Lovely T-shirt, by the yeah, way. Yeah, wearing my festive uh, Christmas Santa T-shirt today. I wanted to replace the big red bench. Well, not replace. I just want to play Christmas songs for the entire hour. Um, to be like oh, a big red bench Christmas special, uh, but uh, that was shot down unsurprisingly. So uh, unfortunately, we're going to talk sport for the next oh, sixty well. minutes. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure we're all delighted to hear that. But yeah, busy show coming up uh, for you between now and seven pm as well. If we ever stop talking about Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, Roger. Plenty of action anyway. Sheffield United up to fifth in the Premier League table. Ollie McBurney's goal was enough for them to secure a one nil win over Brighton. Yeah, Alan Lewis, watch this one. It's finished Brighton nil, Sheffield United 1 and Sheffield United's away record just gets better and better after both teams had goals ruled out by VAR early on Ollie McBurney capitalised on a mistake at the back to score what would prove to be the winner McGoldrick missed a great chance to make it two after the break and O'Connell had another United goal chalked off by VAR Brighton improved though Graham Potter threw men forward in search of an equaliser and Connolly went close while McGoldrick almost scored at the other end is now nine unbeaten away from home from Sheffield United. They finished Brighton nil, Sheffield United one. Yeah, John Egan, uh, Cork's John Egan, Greenwood legend like myself, um, had a, a goal uh, disallowed for Sheffield United as well, who are absolutely incredible. 28 points from 18 games. That's it's a sensational return uh, from a team that is newly promoted. John Egan looks the real deal as well. Solid at the back, composed, yeah. calm. Really, really good centre-half. Um, the thing is, with that Sheffield United team, if they keep performing the way they do, you'd imagine the team will be dismantled over the summer with big clubs coming in to swoop in and take the best place. always danger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, always. But fantastic stuff from them as they continue to fly high. 100%. One point behind Chelsea. I know Chelsea are playing tomorrow, but still, great Incredible. stuff from them. Uh, Wolves are a point behind them in sixth that they came from behind to beat Norwich City 2-1. And Ian Beach was watching it. Norwich 1, Wolves 2. What a turnaround in the second half by Wolves. They were by far the second best team in the first half. Todd Cantwell put Norwich 1-0 up before half-time. And the Wolves goalkeeper, Rui Patricio, made four really good saves in that period to keep his side in the game. But in the second half, goals from Roman Saiz and Raul Jimenez have earned Wolves the points. That keeps Norwich firmly in the relegation zone. Norwich 1, Wolves 2. Yeah, Norwich certainly uh, in trouble. That's a cracking win uh, for Wolves. And as uh, Ryan was mentioning, a point behind Sheffield United. Uh, they're up to sixth. Yeah, absolutely. Now elsewhere, Miguel Amaran, he finally scored for yes. Newcastle. <laughs> finally. At the, at the 27th time of asking to give his team a 1-0 victory over Crystal Palace. And that's them up to the, the uh, top half of the table as well. They have uh, 25 points up to ninth uh, after uh, 18 games. So that's uh, fantastic stuff uh, from Newcastle. Great stuff from them. Southampton, they've been replaced by Aston Villa in the relegation zone after their 3-1 victory at Villa Park. Well, Jay Rodriguez's last-minute goal sealed a 1-0 win for Burnley at Bournemouth. Peter Hood Bournemouth nil, Burnley 1 and the game 1 in the dying seconds courtesy of substitute Jay Rodriguez header which was allowed to stand after a VAR check for handball Burnley though were doing what they usually do they defended they were tough and it was a terse game throughout to be fair game of very few chances indeed five bookings in the second half was never as brutal as all that but it's finished in favour of the visitors Bournemouth nil, Burnley 1 yeah crack win for Burnley 
There you go. Now in the early game, the half past twelve kick off this afternoon, Everton and Arsenal played out the worst goalless draw <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> Let's see if Shane Pennington can describe it any better. Everton nil, Arsenal nil, and both sides new managers watched on from the director's box. And on this showing, they'll know there's plenty of improvement needed if their respective sides are going to climb the table. In a game of very few chances, Aubameyang had the best effort, but saw his effort brilliantly saved by Pickford in the Everton goal. Plus at the other end, Everton's best chance saw Richarlison's angle drive go narrowly wide of the right-hand post. A game that will be easily forgotten, Everton nil, Arsenal nil. A game that will be easily forgotten. I didn't see any of this. Is it? Was it as bad oh, as was, people were saying? Oh, it was brutal. It was absolutely Was it terrible. that bad? It, the first half especially was was brutal. Yeah, no, there was nothing. There was no football being played at all. I feel sorry for <laughs> Ancelotti and Arteta who had to look from the stands down at that and think, "Oh my god, I don't, I don't know which I'd rather be less." Than <laughs> minute, you know? But uh, yeah. yeah, Shane mentioned there it comes after Everton, of course, have appointed Carlo Ancelotti as their manager on a four and a half year contract. Uh, the Italian was sacked by Napoli earlier this month. He now succeeds Marco Silva who was dismissed by Goodison Park Club on the 6th of December. Yeah, I'm going to hear enough, uh, just briefly from Duncan Ferguson. He's been an interim charge. He's going to be part of the new backroom team as well. Uh, he's excited to be working with the Italian. We've just had a chat there, and, and of course I'm, I can't wait to learn off a man like that. I mean, he's done everything, hasn't he? And then, um, you know, I've just I've only took three games or four games, you know, he's took hundreds, thousands maybe. Uh, so no, I, I can't wait to get started Monday. Yeah, it's a huge appointment by uh, by Everton. That's massive. That's a big club move, absolutely. Uh, I, I, actually, yeah, actually it's, before we move on, just as, as an Arsenal fan, are you happy with uh, Mikel Alterta's appointment? Hard to know, Roar. It's, it's, it is hard to know because, I don't know, you hear all these talks about how he's how he has the the manager's vision, he has that whole kind of persona, but he have, he obviously hasn't got the uh, the experience here, has he? He hasn't been able to show that yet, so yeah. I'd like, I don't know, I think it's a bit... might be a bit above his station at the minute, but I suppose... It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a huge gamble, isn't it? It's a massive gamble. Now, I watched his... He did a press conference yesterday after he got appointed. It's about 10 or 15 minutes long. Now, I watched it. He's very, very charismatic, and he knows all the yeah. right things to say. So he did, like... And, and I, I found myself kind of saying, oh, yeah, well, he's like he knows what he's talking about. He's obviously been at the club before. He was there under Wenger, like won trophies under Wenger. He knows kind of what the what the vision of the, the club is about and stuff. So, look, in in that in terms of that, it could hopefully work out in more of kind of a Frank Lampard way than a Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mm-hmm. way but you wouldn't know just because he, he was obviously he thrived as Pep's right hand man but now yeah. I suppose for him to take the hot seat and have Freddie as your right hand man if that's the way they're going to arrange it I mean I, like I don't know it's, it, it, I suppose time will tell really. but the, the atmosphere on that club is poison I mean like just watching um, on Twitter today um, Arsenal Fan TV were being chanted at by Arsenal fans saying on Arsenal fan TV get out of our club yeah. and a lot of the attention seems to be on them and the, the negative atmosphere I suppose they've created 100% and I suppose in recent weeks as well Sky Sports have even uh, kind of given their two cents and kind of saying how exactly like you say like how toxic they are like if, if, if you want to use that word how much of an influence do they have too much influence in that club and how much of yeah. a role did they play in the sacking of Emery in the first place I mean they are essentially standing outside the grounds after every week and just kind of giving out relentlessly giving out about something and I don't know maybe sometime you, at some point you have to draw the line a little bit but yeah, certainly uh, there you go elsewhere anyway it's second against third in the evening kickoff as Leicester City travel to Manchester City it's 39 minutes on the clock it's actually 1-1 courtesy of an equaliser from Riyad Mahrez yeah, we'll get an update on that one in uh, just a bit. But uh, Jamie Vardy had put Leicester ahead with an absolute beauty of a finish, sprinting a down finish. the left-hand side, uh, chipping ball over the keeper at pace as well. That was a top-notch finish. Yeah, and uh, his scoring run continues. Absolutely, and then Mares equalising against his old club. Yeah. So uh, sounds like it could be quite the eventful second half. Now Liverpool are attempting to win the Club World Cup for the first the big time. One. The big one. <laughs> yeah, the big one. Uh, the Champions League holders, they're taking on Brazilian side Flamengo in the final in Doha in Qatar. It's still scoreless after 40 minutes there. Um, yeah, like you said, the big one. They're not playing in the Premier League this weekend because they're, they're uh, off. They're playing in the big one. Yeah, exactly. They've got they've got eyes on a bigger prize than that. <laughs> uh, in Scotland, Celtic have extended their lead at the top of the Scottish Premiership to five points. 
Neyland side battled had a hard fought 2-1 win against 10 men of Aberdeen uh, Motherwell are up to third after Jay Carl's free kick was enough to score them a 1-0 victory at managerless Kilmarnock Hearts are three points adrift at the bottom of the table after Hamilton beat them 2-1 and Livingston thrashed Ross County 4-0 and St. Johnson and St. Mirren played out a goalless draw uh, just a real quick roar off the pitch Ajax and Netherlands defender Daly Blind who you'll remember from his days at Manchester United has been diagnosed with a heart condition he suffered dizziness during the Champions League game against Valencia on the 10th of December uh, the X-Men United player he's now 29 years old he's missed the last two games of the year and he won't rejoin training in January as he continues his recovery but he says he's trying to return to football as soon as possible yeah. Um, so we wish him a speedy Certainly recovery so. of course uh, moving on anyway in Gaelic games Cork began their Munster Hurling League season with a comfortable victory against Kerry in Mallow yesterday evening final score there 127 to 11 points we have a reaction from uh, Kieran Kingston the Cork boss coming up on that just in a little bit but that's uh, a good win for Cork I think it was just a lot of the uh, the younger panel uh, involved last night so um, yeah good win for good win for Cork again. yeah good positive start now elsewhere Tipperary have now lost back to back games in the league the All-Ireland champions were beaten 222 to 117 by Limerick at the LIT Gaelic Grounds last night. Now, today's action, we saw St. Michael's defeated St. Finbar's. They were playing in the under-21A football championship quarterfinal this afternoon. It was a comfortable victory in the end. 4-15 to 1-8 is how that game finished. In rugby, Cons- uh, Cons- <laughs> Connacht are hosting Munster at the sports ground in the Guinness Pro 14 this evening. Uh, Munster are currently leading 16 points to 9 there and as for yesterday evening those who braved the cold were treated to 14 tries no less at the RDS last night incredible stuff <laughs> Max Deegan and Scott Penny uh, both crossed a white wash twice as Leinster ran, and, uh, ran out 54 to 42 point winners over Ulster in the Pro 14 in the other interprovincial derby of the weekend and a pair of tries from Greg Jones helped uh, Ulster secure a try scoring bonus point of their own in snooker, uh, our lads in action. We had him on the show not only a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, Cork snooker sensation Ross Bullman. He's taking on world number fourteen Barry Hawkins, which is no mean feat in a twenty twenty German Masters qualifying match this evening. It's getting underway from seven o'clock. Uh, notable winners from earlier this afternoon include Mark Selby, Judd Trump, Martin Gould, and Graham Dot. Who I don't understand why. Um, uh, why Mark Selby and Judd Trump were playing a qualifying game for that tournament, but there you go. Yeah. Um, in darts, Keen Barry says he's determined to land a PDC tour card after being crowned Junior World Darts Champion today. He defeated Adam Gaulis 5-3 at the Ali Pali earlier on. He'll also take on Leighton Bennett in next month's BDO World Youth Final, so definitely a youth prospect to uh, keep an eye on there. Now in the senior game, Derry's Daryl Gurney looks to book his place in Round 3 at the PDC World Darts Championship this evening. Number 6 seed is taking on Justin Pipe. While elsewhere, Fallon Sharrock, who's been making all the headlines across Across the papers this week, of course, she became the first woman to win a match at the tournament this week, and she's going up against Mensar Soljevic this evening. Finally, for now, Rory, just a quick mention for Jack Woolley, who is Ireland's first ever Taekwondo Olympian. 21 year old Dubliner is qualified for next year's Tokyo Olympic Games. Uh, Woolley won a European silver medal in the 58 kilo division last month, and he's now ranked seventh in the world, so congratulations to him. All right, thanks for that, Ryan. And it's still uh, Leicester City uh, won, Manchester City won. Uh, at the Etihad Stadium there in the report in fact Man City have just gone ahead uh, they've gone 2-1 um, Gundogan penalty have put a City ahead there against Leicester City so just approaching half time Manchester City 2 Leicester City 1 we'll get you a half time report on that one in just a bit but we're going to talk about the FAI and everything that's been happening I suppose this week the FBI's future has uh, never been more uncertain and a lot being made about that during the week we'll talk about that in a bit but Ryan has been speaking to Cork City FC Chairman Declan Kerry to discuss the future of football in Ireland and the potential impact that liquidation would have on the Rebel Army and the League of Ireland as a whole So I'm joined on the line by Chairman of Cork City Football Club Declan Kerry uh, Declan obviously everyone's aware at this stage of the controversy and I suppose the uncertainty surrounding the FAI's future but early in the week, uh, Sports Minister Shane Ross made the comment, if the FAI goes, the League of Ireland might go with it. Is that true, Declan, and is it something that you and the club are concerned about? Yeah, look, uh, I, I suppose in the, in the strictest sense, yes, it is true. Um, and yeah, well, look, I think uh, everyone at our club and supporters uh, of the League of Ireland all over the country took took note of, uh, of those comments and, and took them very seriously. So yeah, look, we're... Um, 
we're, we're very much aware of the, the dangers and um, you know we, we hope that there can be some kind of a resolution um, in the in the very near future to this to, to end a lot of the you know speculation and um, you know some of the the comments that the minister did make it did frighten a lot of supporters, and there has been a, a, a real reaction to it as well in the in the public domain. So hopefully, we can see uh, some kind of resolution to it in the, in the near future. As I said, yeah, definitely. He, he did go on to clarify his comments. He said that the League of Ireland, like it, it said, it could exist, albeit possibly in a different format. Even if the FAI were to fall by the wayside, do you think that something like the League of Ireland could bounce back from? Oh, definitely. Yeah, look, the the league at the moment, like while um, you know we are, you know, the FAI is our regulator. We've had a a love hate relationship with the FAI. I feel over the last um, number of years and decades. Look, we've been denied things like commercial revenues and TV money by the FAI for a long time. We do have a very positive relationship with some departments of the FAI, um, like the licensing department and some of the, the staff there that deal directly with the league. But overall, as the the FAI, I think have just. Uh, you know, done the the bare minimum with the League of Ireland, um, so that they could maintain their you know national team status and UEFA status. I think um, is probably the overarching team with that one. Um, but look, yeah, could we uh, go ahead and, and, and restructure the league? We've had discussions with a number of entities and and groups over the last year on on that exact topic. This uh, controversy with the FAI now has kind of clouded that a bit but it may be an opportunity for us now to use this current controversy and um, turn it into a positive and um, and. Re- and, uh, and make it make it strong, sustainable, and something that's viable and attractive to uh, supporters all over the country who, who love football. And do you have any idea how that would how that would set up, Declan? Have you worked out that yet? Yeah, I think look, we haven't really worked it up, but there's a number of proposals, and I think the the most attractive one I would say would be the clubs to to take ownership of the league themselves and just have the national body. Then um, the FAI have a. Like be a stakeholder in that, similar to how the Premier League in the in England works. Um, you know the clubs are the um the owners of the league. They all have an equal share. They they do the negotiations while they employ uh you know staff to run the league, and um they do the negotiations for TV money, etc. And they make sure that that's fairly distributed. Um, and look, I think some something similar. Look, we've uh, we've been in for so long now. I think as a league, and it's time now for everyone. I think the you know to to use this opportunity to. Try and reinvigorate things um, for us, and I think uh, while while the comments this week and all of the speculation is a negative, I'm sure we can do something to turn it into a positive now. And and um, if clubs are brave enough to make the change, I think we can definitely get something done in the next uh, one to two years. Definitely. Now, Declan, I suppose they, there's a lot of speculation uh, in the papers and kind of in on social media and that that about the uncertainty of the Irish international team and, and Euro 2020 and all that. But yeah. I believe in a club level, European competitive football, so your, your Champions League, Europa League, that goes if the FAI goes as well, does it? It does, yeah, yeah. But look, the whole league uh, in its current structure where the FAI governed the league, you know, would would go as well. So look, I think European places is, uh, you know, one of the knock-on effects of that. Um, and look, yeah, we, we as I said earlier, we would hope that somewhere between either the, the Irish government or UEFA that they will, um, it will avoid the situation where the FAI is liquidated. I think the knock-on effects of the FAI being liquidated are just un, unfathomable to think of. Like, you know, you would... You're talking impacts there to five-year-olds kicking a ball on a Saturday morning all the way up to League of Ireland level. So the impacts are absolutely enormous of that happening. Um, and, you know, the, if you just think about the number of volunteers and staff and coaches uh, associated with all clubs, from you know, junior level all the way up to senior level, um, it, it's just unquestionable to think of the impact it would have on all those. Um, and I don't think the Irish government could let that happen. You know, there's, there's just too much at stake. And um, football and soccer, you know, it's a, it's, it's a huge sport in this country. Um, almost, you know, I would say it's probably the most popular amongst kids as well. There's more people playing soccer than, than ever before. And I don't think the government should let that slide for... Um, you know, for because of governance failures at such a high level within the FAI, I think um, you know they, they, we have been let down by you know the senior executives at the FAI and uh, at at that level, and you know to let that impact uh, you know the guys that are out on the on the field coaching kids every weekend, you know, should they really suffer because of um, because of this? I would hope that the government kind of take action on it now, and you know if they, if that means they take charge of it in some way as well, and. 
guided through this rough patch, then I think it would be a massive win for the government as well um, if they were to, you know, support and um, and help get the FAI out of this mess, clear out the guys that, you know, caused all these issues and where all the questions still lie with, with those um, with those individuals and, and and drive on then and um, and try and recover what we have. Yes, definitely. Now, uh, Dagla, I suppose you obviously kind of deal with the FAI a lot. You mentioned kind of the love-hate relationship between the FAI and the League of Ireland. Was this something that you were expecting or did you preempt this demise or this kind of uh, this kind of uncertainty, yeah. this financial struggle, I suppose, the FAI are having? Yeah, look, I think the fact that, you know, as I said there, we've had that love-hate relationship with the FAI for, for so long now. A lot of the League of Ireland supporters would often sing chants about the, and chant about the FAI at games and, you know, it's, it's one of those, I hate to say I told you so thing, but um, something was always amiss, I think. And, um, yeah, to say, not surprised, I, it would probably be true, but to the extent it has now developed to, it has been very surprising. Um, and look, to see it now go to the level that it is, you know, we're dusting the Arctis and there's such, um, you know, huge governance failings there and uh, and the FBI unable to answer those questions. I know under such a, a spotlight and scrutiny that you know I wouldn't have expected, um, and anyone associated with the league wouldn't have expected. But look, to say we're, if you ask any any uh, you know long term uh, League of Ireland supporter out there, surprised the answer would probably be no. But to the extent, I would say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now Shane Ross has actually said. Like he's he's been quite uh, quite verbal about the fact that he doesn't feel the FAI should be given any more of the taxpayers' money or giving any more public funding. Is that something that you would echo? Um, yeah, I think in the in the current structure, I can understand why he would say that. Um, but look, I think if um, as I said there, if there's a clear out and the government makes certain demand, if there is some kind of a semblance of a plan put together, you know, um, lessen the impact to, to clubs all over the country and volunteers and staff um, and the jobs within the FAI as well, if they show that they're making a concerted effort to save that. And you know, you're talking about football in the country, while the FAI, you know, some would say have uh, made a poor job at, at managing that over the last while. Um, I think it, you know, it's so big that y- you just couldn't let it um, let it die at, a, at, a, at you know, at FAI level. I think the government would definitely have to step in at some stage. And um, yeah, I think the, the comments by Shane Ross have been, you know, if they've got the right reaction now. I think there's such public spotlight on it that you know, it, 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 public will demand answers and demand solutions from the FAI, and I think that was. That will hopefully drive it, drive it forward to get somewhere where we resolve the current issues. And Declan, what do you think now will happen next? And I suppose, what do you think should happen next to resolve the situation? Yeah, like I think uh, definitely we're we're part of a group called the Premier Clubs Alliance, the PCA, and um, we hope to to meet um, on behalf of all League of Ireland clubs with the with the FEI as well, first of all, and then with uh, Sport Ireland and hopefully with Shane Moss as well, just to, you know, explain to him the impact of what his comments did and, you know, um, uh, discuss, you know, the the downstream impacts that, you know, liquidating the FEI will have. I know Jonathan O'Brien spoke very passionately about it as well yesterday in the Arrakis, um and he was a, a former board member of Cork to the FC as well um, uh, almost 10 years ago. So, look, I think... Uh, yeah, we just really need to explain to him the the impact that you know liquidating the FAI would have and um, and how that would impact you know the League of Ireland currently looks after national leagues um, from under thirteen up to under nineteen. So you're talking about like the the core teenage years there where players are being developed and uh, you know these are the next players that will end up playing for Ireland and hopefully us to national uh, international tournaments. So look, I think the government will have to see that and. Uh, as well as you said there with the with the Euro it's expected to take place in Dublin next year look, that would just be um, catastrophic to, to not have that as well um, and not have the FAI be a you know a, a functioning member of UEFA that would just be catastrophic so I don't think that is, a, is an option at this stage um, and hopefully as I said there would be some kind of a solution Yeah hopefully I suppose just on a local level Declan your club Cork City I suppose all you can do is really prepare for the 2020 season as normal is it? That's it. Yeah, look, we're still plowing on. We uh, we launched our new jersey there a couple of weeks back, and um, yeah, that, that should hopefully be in store very soon. And we're selling season tickets for next year. And Neil Fenn and Joe Gamble, our new management, team are actively out signing players. And uh, you know, it's business as usual for us. It's a, it's a hectic period for the club. And you know, as I said, there there's a number of uh, hardworking staff there trying to pull all that together. And um, 
and volunteers as well helping us out on a on a daily basis. Um, and look, yeah, we'll we'll carry on as normal, and uh, the fixtures are due out tomorrow with the the first league game expected on fourteenth. Uh, so um, yeah, Valentine's Day coincidentally, hopefully it's uh, it's an omen. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. All right, Declan Carey, Chairman of Cork City FC. Thanks very much for joining us. Cheers. Yeah, and uh, Cork City playing Shelburne now in that opening uh, fixture uh, on 14th of February. Uh, but yeah, uh, very interesting stuff there from Declan. Um, it's a mess, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's an absolute mess. It and is, like it's chaos. Uh, hearing Shane Ross talking about something he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about, saying, oh yeah, should the League of Ireland be gone as well? Yeah. Without even thinking it through. Yeah, no, totally. And as you heard there, Declan like completely mm. refutes that, you know, and, and kind of has has been saying that they've actually been talking like even prior to all this about yeah. how the about how the League of Ireland could exist without it. So yeah, absolutely yeah. not. Jonathan O'Brien, the, the Sinn Féin TD from uh, Cork North Central, um, was speaking at the hearing on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, and um, he's obviously quite passionate about Cork City. He's very passionate about League of Ireland football and Irish football as a whole. Uh, I just want to play a bit of what he had to say. Not even as a League of Ireland fan, but as as a football fan. I mean, we've had situations where League of Ireland supporters for years, including clubs, have been trying to explain exactly how the FA operates. They have ridiculed us, they've laughed at us, they threw some of us out of football grounds for trying to expose the incompetence within the, within the organisation. We had a situation and where they actually described the League of Ireland as the problem child. We were not the problem child. The FEI were the absentee fathers. And I, forgive me my language because I, I'm angry about this. They were the absentee fathers who didn't give an absolute about the League of Ireland. And continue to not care about the League of Ireland. And somebody needs to say that because it hasn't been said vocally enough and I apologise my language Chair okay, well, but I can understand your anger I don't apologise for the sentiments behind it okay. because there are a lot of League of Ireland supporters out there there's a lot of football supporters out there not just League of Ireland supporters who are really angry at what's happening right now yeah, he certainly uh, summed it up there quite well the Jonathan O'Brien but look the, the whole situation is a mess it's not going to get any better in the short term future and you'd wonder where it's all going to go down the line. Yeah, you'd wonder. It's, I don't know, it's a bit of a conflicting one because on the one hand, you have to say, like you have to give a certain amount of time to the fact that it's it's four days from Christmas and how many people are in homeless shelters and how many kids are waking up mm. on Christmas Day in hotel rooms and all that. And then you're looking at the FAI who are 60 million plus euro in debt asking the government for more money and you're just thinking how does it make any more sense yeah. to give a sporting organisation more money when there's clearly other pressing issues now on the, uh, in, in, the, in the interest of fairness and Declan Carey put it quite well the FAI and the presence of football in Ireland and the the uh, I suppose like with all your club level football in the country that also employs a lot of people and to disband that and to uh, I suppose throw a grenade into that would cause a lot of upheaval and mm. a lot of chaos as well so it's a bit of a rock and hard place really yeah, certainly so alright half time report uh, from the Idiots Day Man City leading Leicester Darren Stanage Man City 2, Leicester 1, City coming from behind to lead at the break, Vardy raced through to score the opening goal for Leicester with a very neat finish, former Leicester man Mahrez though equalising with a deflected effort on 29 minutes as the host dominated and Diddy felt Sterling in the box, upsteps Ilkay Gundogan to fire home the penalty to give the host a very deserved lead at the break but Leicester have been very dangerous on the counter, there could be more goals in this one Man City 2, Leicester 1 Alright we're going to take a quick break, when we come back on and talk uh, motorcycling with uh, Ray Casey and up next reaction from uh, Corksman Kerry. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. All right, going to get reaction from our Corks win over Kerry last night in the Munster Hurling League campaign. Um, 127 to 11 points, the final score in Mallow. It was a young Cork team, boss Kieran Kingston, happy with the workout. Ah, yeah, we're happy. Look, we had a very, very young team there tonight. Um, very experienced, some lads that are not on our panel, they were just in for the night. So um, we have to be happy with what we're trying to do and trying to do the right things, and that's all we can ask for this time of the year. Right? So they're 
Pressure was very good, commitment was good, effort was good, and as I say, they were trying to do the right thing, which is all we can ask for. Yes, but we're used to the, the experienced players, but what did you think of the newcomers that came in? Ah, yeah, we stand out it. Yeah? And it was, I wouldn't, uh, I, 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 wouldn't uh, I don't get on the road of individualising yeah. players, we, yeah. we, we talk about that in-house, okay. but I think the collective is all is, is, yeah. is the most important thing. 127 and, uh, is a good score. It is a good score, yeah, yeah. and we, we had, I think, around 20 wides on top of that, yeah. missed a few goal chances, but we're a bit rusty, like, we haven't a lot done, we're only back training a few weeks, a lot of gym work and done, but not a lot of hurling done, so from that point of view, I have to be happy with them and I'm happy with a number of the fellas who yeah. are supposed on the panel um, and I walk hard tonight and put their, put their hand up, which is great. You talk about the wides there, but I suppose shot selection early on, fellas are uh, yeah, trying to make a name for themselves. Maybe. Uh, you understand yeah. that, like any yeah. fellas are in and they, they, they want to get on the scoreboard and, and that's understandable, especially with, with young lads, but like, we have, we have a panel of 40 players, we have 21, 21 in, in college. And there was a number of like the start, the start we took off a few of them there. They were, they were doing exams until half four this evening, you know. Yeah. So some have six exams, six, seven exams this week. So, uh, and most of them guys are doing exams all week. So, like, I mean, it was, uh, I suppose, challenging for them. But at the same time, we have to be happy with the effort. Like, we came down here a few years ago and we threw in a lot of young lads. And uh, they made their names in the Munster League and they went on for um, went on and made, made their names afterwards at, at, at an... At, at, I suppose league and, and championship and we said the same to the fellas tonight like put your hand up and that's what we want to do create competition and yeah. I suppose it's positive to get a nice, nice fixture in before Christmas ah, it is yeah like, I mean it's, it, is, it, is, it is I suppose this time of the year is quite difficult it was important for us to get it in because as I said the Fiskeven Cup is starting the 12th the same day that the final of the Munster League is, is scheduled for and we have 21 players away with college uh, playing Fiskeven Cup uh, so we need, we need to get this game in order we just the schedule just wouldn't allow it you know and uh, so you, you're kind of more in favour of this schedule playing December 20th and December 29th than against it? Well, I suppose for us, for us, because we have so many students, yeah. it suits, but it might, mightn't suit other teams. You know, OK, the pitch was very good tonight. We have to compliment Mallow, uh, Groundman, Groundsman and, and the complex or the, 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 the management here because the pitch was excellent for given the week they've had. Yeah. But in, I suppose if you didn't have many students as we have on the panel, you'd yeah. probably be saying that we'll play it in January, you know? Yeah. But it's just like those lads from the 12th of February until depending on how, how long they go. But from the 12th of February on, I think, if they were to go all the ways, we 14 them in UCC, there's six games in four weeks, you know. Yeah. And the, the change to the league format, does that mean there's a bit less pressure in kind of have, having a, a, a 15 ready at the start of the league, you know, because you're probably not under as much pressure in terms of relegation now with the Group A and Group B, and this competition can be used more for finding players than building a starting 15 for the league? Well, I think it's a balance, it's a balance between, between being as competitive as you can be and trying to introduce some new players who are who are going to be um, putting their hand up for jerseys yeah. and that's why we have a panel as I said like every team is trying to find a couple of new players that will challenge the guys that are there and we will be doing no different we'd like to be trying to keep I suppose the um, the the, uh, the basis of your of your or the foundation of your team kind of have it yeah. have it have it there or thereabouts but all, always and in particular as I say because it, we want to have availability of the students during uh, yeah. the first two rounds of the National League at least anyway that little opportunity will be, will be there for others but it's a bit of both yeah. it's a bit of both and how have your phone setting back in is it uh, is it like a hand in a glove again or a I'm not sure I'm not sure but I just think look when you're away you're, you miss the course and it's great to be back around I enjoy it and you have a huge passion for it and you enjoy being around the lads and they're a great punch and like all you ask for them is that uh, every time they go out to be the best they can yeah. be and, and, and be as competitive as we can be that's all we can ask for, ask for them and they have reacted well uh, so far yeah, that's Kieran Kingston there speaking to Dennis after last night's uh, win for Cork over Kerry in the uh, Munster Hurling League up in Mallow. Uh, back underway at the Etihad, Manchester City leading Leicester City by two goals to one. Mahrez and Gundogan with the goals for City and uh, Jimmy Vardy opening the scoring with a cracking goal for Leicester. And uh, Munster now leading Connick 19 points to 9, 58 minutes on the clock there going to talk motorcycling now and uh, Ray Casey was on with us early in the year to talk about his preparations for the Isle of Man TT the first time he competed at the event Ray called into us today to look back on his year and to look ahead to 2020 alright we're joined in studio by our friend uh, Ray Casey Ray how are you? I'm flying now thanks Thank you for coming in um, it's been a hectic year I suppose to, to put it mildly I guess yeah well yeah um, it, it feels like only a couple of weeks ago when we were in here last time talking and I was only getting ready for everything at that stage like, yeah. but uh, I said since then we've managed to squeeze an awful lot of racing in and travelling around so it's nice to have it all over and done with now The last time we were here was to, to preview the, the Isle of Man TT how was that as an experience? 
um, yeah, it was it was incredible. It was it was everything. Even though we were a bit robbed because I think it actually went on record as the worst year in the history of the TT for weather. Yeah. We, we got robbed of lots of practice and stuff like. But still, it was uh, as a newcomer. Um, it was just and the experience was just unbelievable. Like to be there as a rider this time around, yeah. compared to being there as a spectator, like it was it was incredible. The track, everything was everything I thought it was going to be. It was just a pity we didn't get more laps to to get like the full full whack of it. Like what was the weather? Was wet? Was it? Yeah, wet. I see. Like the, the the island is so big. Like that one part we were sitting in the paddock and it was sunshine, but yeah. up the mountain could be fog or so. Like it was very frustrating. But you're sitting in the paddock, you're looking at sunshine, you can see the beach. Like but then 12 miles away the track is underwater or you know so yeah. getting all these reports in like you think you're going to get going but then you know, 10 minutes before <laughs> and then the clerk of the course is over the radio saying lads yeah. we're not going again like it was very very frustrating that way but again at the same time like we tried to make the most of it and enjoy it as much as we could like. and to finally to, to ride on the track I mean like yeah, it's a probably it's a track you know so well like you know to actually get on a bike and ride around what was that like um it was like I said when I was like the lead up to it was all so busy I kind of didn't really take a whole lot in and when we were there it was like we were kind of just there and we were doing a job but didn't really take it in either but it's only since we left the other man that I'm like you know taking in every now and again I kind of get a flashback back of a certain part of the track or whatever and I'm like geez, yeah that was that place is incredible in fairness like was it a challenging track it was it was it definitely proved that like you need to do the homework because I, I'd been over there a couple of times beforehand and I was again countless on board like hours watching YouTube videos of on boards and stuff and as soon as we done like the second lap I kind of pretty much knew where I was all the time yeah. so I, I was happy with that like that was the biggest fear like is that you get you, you kind of you get lost you don't know where you are and you go left when you should go right and it could go badly wrong like so from the second lap on I kind of was happy that I knew where I was and from then it was just a case of right try and try and go a little bit quicker every time now let's try and go a little bit quicker and then obviously it was it was really frustrating because the weather kind of kept us we'd have a good we'd have a run for four laps one night and then th- we mightn't ride a bike then again for two days yeah. so you were almost starting all over again every time you go see if you got if you could have got out every night yeah. you're just kind of you know you're topping up like so it's not too bad but every time I there was a two or three day break it was really difficult to get going then mm. again straight away like so overall, like happy with the experience. Oh yeah, like, and we came away as the fastest newcomer out of like ten lads that mm. were there. Like, so that was kind of pretty much all the best we could hope for. Yeah. I I feel like obviously there's a lot I could have give a lot more if we had more practice and even the weather conditions that we were riding in were better. Like we had a lot of wind to deal with and a lot of low sun and stuff in mm. some of the nights, which was all tricky to get used to. So, um, but like next year the plan is obviously to go back again and go back on a superbike. But I feel like that. You know, I, I'd have a lot more to offer. I feel like the place would suit me, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's like, it's it's almost as mad as it sounds. It's like almost a relaxed race compared to racing in Mandelo, where yeah. it's like you're banging elbows off guys next to you and everything. At the TT, you're kind of on your own. It's kind of up to you to pick your marks and stuff. So I think it actually is a place that will really suit me. So Yeah, I was going to say, you're obviously going back next year. I mean, the like, planning's obviously started. Yeah, the planning has started. I've actually sold my two 600cc bikes that I had for this year. Um, and the plan is to go back on a superbike there for next year. Like, yeah. um, and do do the same thing as we did this year, right here in Ireland, um, on the superbike, and do the TT as the main goal. Yeah. Um, you had issues with your bikes this year. Last time you were here, your bike blew up like a day after. Yeah, um, like <laughs> the day after you were with us, your bike blew up. Yeah, like, I, and we had a bad luck charm here. Like when I was here talking to you, everything was going really smoothly. Like I had a bike and <laughs> so an it's engine. My fault, is it? Everything, <laughs> everything was in place, and like I hadn't ridden the bike yet. And then we went to Spain for a pre-season test. Yeah. And I rode the bike for one day, just running it in because it was a brand new engine. And we went to go on track the second day, and on the second lap, it, it, the bike, the, yeah, just engine seized. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, so I was kind of stuck out in Spain with no bike for a few days. But when we came home, we had to take one engine out and get that looked at and see why it went wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, we put in the spare engine. The spare engine I had, there was a problem with that. Uh, I'd missed another two days of testing in Mandelo. Um, it was coming really close to the first round of the Manila Masters Championship and I hadn't I'd only done one one day in the bike in Spain yeah. and that was literally running in the bike I wasn't even up to speed so I kind of started to panic a little bit um, so in the end we just decided like right we're going to have to buy a bike Like so I had to ring a guy in Northern Ireland that wasn't even selling his bike and basically like pay <laughs> like him yeah. like, you know like tell him so eventually he did eventually sold it and it turned out it was a very similar bike to my own so mm. there wasn't much of a, a transition yeah. like, so we bought it the Wednesday and I was racing it 
Saturday and Sunday the first round of the championship in Mandela like so mm. but as soon as I got on it I was like oh, this is it, it was better than the bike that I had so yeah. I was happy enough like that we were going to be back on track like mm. but it was a big blow to the budget obviously like yeah obviously like, yeah. that before we even got to the team yeah you must have been cursing your luck like you know yeah um, outlook again I was trying to always look on the positive that like um, that it wasn't happening at the Isle of Man you know that we got yeah. all the hassle out of the way when we were at the Isle of Man like so that was mm. the that was the one positive I had to try and take out of it. And speaking of Mondello, um, you had one of the most spectacular crashes I've ever seen. Yeah, um, that was the like that was two weeks after the TT. Like I spent yeah. like all of last year worrying about like what could happen at the Isle of Man and like you know just get back from there safe. And you kind of forget that when you're in Mondello, like accidents can happen mm. really quick as well. Um, and like that crash. That was that was a f- that was I don't even know how to explain. There's a that photograph of it. It looks absolutely yeah. terrifying. That was a that actually was a, a, one of the other riders in my race. His mother was holding out like a pit board. You know the pit boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was holding out a pit board for him to read when I came around because he was like just behind me and uh, what, I don't know how she did it but she like sat up on the wall to put it out and she got it out way further than everybody else did. Yeah. and I hit the board with my brake lever and it locked my brake on at like uh, where it was like 120 miles an hour the bike just stopped like, yeah. so I didn't flying over that yeah I was straight through the screen like I even I to be fair I didn't really know what was happening until I was standing up again I was like I didn't really know what had happened like mm. I just felt a bang and then the bike just stopped so um, it was only afterwards I discovered what actually had happened like so Were you angry? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, as I thought my bike was wrecked like and I knew I was lucky that I didn't get ridden over because it was the first lap of the race so like there was like Big 20 bunch, bikes yeah. behind me I was leading there was 20 bikes behind me and I could I could hear them like zipping past as I was sliding on the floor like so um it was we were everyone was really lucky like even like his mother was lucky that she didn't get pulled over the wall with, yeah, with yeah, the board because yeah. the board I pulled the board out of her hand there was an ambulance man standing next to it he nearly got hit by the board like so there was a few um yeah, there was a bit of an inquiry into how that actually happened and stuff like so. You must, you must have been terrified though. Like. Well, again, it was it was like I know you don't it was, remember it like, yeah, like it was over before I knew it. Again, I had no injury. Like I had one bruise in my back, which like I, I don't really know how I, I managed to kind of stay sliding down the centre of the road, That's which incredible. was which was the which was the big trick. Like don't get hit by anything or don't hit anything yourself. Like so, um, but like. I said it was over kind of I thought it had ruined the championship to be honest with you because I thought my bike was ruined like, yeah. so I had to ring Cahill one of my mechanics who wasn't with me that weekend and he had my spare bike and he's living in, in Waterford like mm. so he he had to bring that up like late mm. at night like and we'd done a bit of switching around and I had to ride it the next day um, and I was a bit nervous getting on the bike in the next day like it was, ra- so it was raining and um, but uh, we managed like I don't know fifth and sixth or something on the Sunday like yeah. it's kind of just a day like that that just you just need to salvage yeah. what you can out, out of the day like and then just forget about it then for the next week like you so sound like you're a very lucky boy right yeah that was it could have been a lot worse but sure look <laughs> it wasn't thankfully so I can't anymore um, racing closer to home the Glanmire road races were back this year and a huge massive success apparently yeah um, it was great like it, that was probably the most nervous I was going into any race this year because like you know so close to home yeah I almost expected to race like you know there was a lot of people I knew that were coming down to watch it that like probably would, would mm. Mandela was the closest I'll ever be to a race yeah, yeah. in Cork like so um, and I knew the track as well like I knew them roads because I could try and grow up around that yeah. area like so it was nice to be very I stayed in my mother's house like I was like three minutes drive from the track which yeah. is so unusual like um, so yeah, Saturday was a washout with the rain, mm. um, and then on Sunday, like they were lucky that the the weather changed, and there was huge crowds. It was probably the biggest crowds I've ever seen at the National yeah. Road. Like, so just goes to show the interest is is here for it. Like, you know, I think all the Definitely. council and Glamour and everything are all thrilled with how everything went. Like, yeah. so it's coming back next year, and they're after giving them a better date in June as well. It yeah. was in August, so it's after being brought forward to try and give it a bit more support. Like, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to that. Like, yeah, I mean, like racing in front of like all the core people, I suppose, must be a, a special thrill. Yeah, it was, and it was only again when you're racing, you kind of don't, um, you're, you're you're kind of busy. You don't really take a whole pile in. But on the last lap of the the grand final, I had like uh, one of the lads put out my pit board, and I had like a four second gap over the guy in fourth. So I knew I was yeah, pretty yeah. comfortable on the last lap. So I was able to kind of just have a little look around and see, you know, to take stuff in. Like, and I couldn't believe the crowd that was there. To be honest, with you, like because I've done a couple of national road races, and I. I was excited going around, like you know, and again being the local boy from Cork, like I was getting a lot of support, so it was great. It actually was probably my favourite event of the year. Yeah. What about the other riders? Were they happy with everything? Oh yeah, like everyone, everyone was delighted with the event. You see, I think um, 
because it was a new road race they kind of slotted the date in at the end of a steady run of road races yeah. like you know so it was like the seventh of seven in a row of road races so the entries and stuff were a little bit low like but now I think all the riders that were there and the feedback that went back to everybody was the like boys, yeah. and the boys that was there like I think they, in June like it's probably going to be the best national road race that will happen next year mm. like. well, So what's your plan so for next year obviously the, the Ireland Man TT is kind of the main focus is it? Yeah well they were obviously now I'm bikeless at the minute <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's the next the next thing now is to decide we're kind of trying to do a, a deal here with Carey's in Little Island yeah. for Motorrad for a BMW which is the bike I, I want to be yeah. on obviously it's the it's the game changer of a BMW it's what everyone else is on at least you know you're going in on the same Level pages times, yeah. as everyone else so this bike's obviously best of the best of them yeah it's a game changer like, it's got everything in it like any any like electronic it's like a little Formula 1 bike really yeah. you know so it's um, that's the plan is to try and get one of them they're a bit late in production so yeah it's going to be it's going to be cutting it tight to get a road bike and have a convert into a race bike for like early next year like is so it's um, a job to ask be done to convert them into race bikes um, there is there's a lot of time involved in it like you know so especially when because it's a brand new bike there's a lot of parts still not available for them so you're not just taking it off the shelf and going no, up no, racing no no just like yeah, it, they built this bike from the ground up like so you know the stuff is only starting to kind of filter through yeah, for yeah, them yeah. now so like obviously you'll have your factory riders will get they get first preference, like, and then they're, they're all the BMW team riders, and then it'll slowly start to filter down. Yeah, like. yeah. So, um, you know, look, there's other, like, there's obviously there's other options out there. The Kawasaki and the Yamaha are all good as well, like, but BMW is where we want to be at, and um, that's what we're aiming for now. Like, but I'm not really in any panic. I'll wait till maybe the end of January, and mm. once I'm ready to go, by kind of March, like, I know I'm going to be racing. I know I'm going to be on a big bike, so it's. I can just prepare as normal for that, like you know, mm. whether it's a Kawasaki and or a BMW, it doesn't really matter. Like you know, I I know I'm going to be on a thousand cc bike, so yeah. I can train. We've already started back training with Tom and Fota, like so, back training with the last two months already, mm. like so. Or um, we're just going to get ready as best we can, and like a bike is a bike. We'll yeah. we'll get one somewhere from somehow. Like, have you set goals for next year? Have you set targets in mind? Um, like this year, winning the. The Masters Championship, obviously, at the end of the whole season, was was a, a great achievement. Like you know, it was a nice icing on the cake. Like I kind of had something I overlooked really to start of the year because everything was focused on the TT. And as soon as the TT was over, kind of we needed a new goal. So the Masters Championship, we we concentrated on that, and then we wrapped that up with the last round. So obviously, next year I'd like to go in there and do that maybe again on the Superbike. And just go to the TT, like, and see see how we're fixed again. Like, excellent, Ray. Uh, thanks very much for coming in. Um, we're looking forward to tracking your progress next year. And uh, happy Christmas, buddy. Yep, thank you. Yeah, it's Ray Casey. They're talking about his uh, year competing at the Isle of Man TT, which was uh, a goal of his for quite a long time. Got to achieve that, fantastic. But just hearing him describe in detail the crash that happened at Mondello was absolutely terrifying. It's unbelievable. Like you say, just there a minute ago, like fearlessness, complete fearlessness of of the you know of the road, getting back on the bike when something like that happens like, he was like yeah I was slightly nervous and I was like if that <laughs> happened to me I don't think I'd even look at a bike ever again <laughs> oh stop like, he was describing it and he was so cool and calm and I suppose that probably helps him when he's actually riding then as well you could hear there in his voice like how like kind of he takes everything in and how kind of like he doesn't really break out in a sweat or anything like that like it's obviously helps him when he's actually riding but I couldn't believe it when he said that slightly nervous getting back slightly on the bike slightly nervous yeah it's, um, yeah, it's uh, incredible but um, yeah fantastic stuff from Ray he's back at the, the Isle of Man CT next year so we'll have Ray on again if, later his, uh, on. if his bike breaks again after <laughs> having been on today at Roar I think that's the last time <laughs> we'll be getting him in here okay, I think the big red bench is a bad luck term for Ray alright yeah so uh, yeah great to have Ray in uh, has to be said alright I'm going to talk darts uh, briefly Keane Barry says he's the determined to land a PDC Tour card after being crowned the Junior World Darts Champion. He defeated Adam Gawless 5-3 Lally Pally today. He'll take on Leighton Bennett in next month's BDO World Youth Final. And this is him talking about becoming the World Junior Darts Champion. Congratulations, you're holding the Tommy Cox Trophy. You've won the, the Scott Farms International JDC Junior World Championship title. You're now a world champion in your sport. How does that feel? It's, it's amazing, really. To, it's kind of everything in a dream of to be, to be a world champion. And it, I mean, last year, I could do it. And to, to get the win, it's, it's amazing. So that would be amazing. 
It's been a, a pretty whirlwind six months for you, getting into the World Championship, getting into this. What Can you just explain kind of what it's been like for you? It's been very busy, but very enjoyable as well. Everything's going right for me, and I'm playing really good darts. So, and it's, it's a kind of hard work, and it's starting to pay off. Yeah, it's Keane Barry there. Apologies there for the quality of that audio. Um, going to talk briefly about um, Rory Best. We kind of mentioned it earlier on today, and you think you, you had it in your, your sports news today. Um, comments uh, that he made following the World Cup uh, where he said that um, there was too much detail from the coaching team which people obviously took as an attack or criticism um, on Joe Schmidt he was been speaking on Air Sport uh, about those comments the headlines a few weeks ago obviously there was some great honesty coming out of you you spoke about maybe what went wrong maybe you talked about as yourself as a captain what as time has gone on have you reflected on that good a nice handy one Tommy thanks <laughs> <laughs> under the bus um I think what what really frustrated me was was the actual headlines. I think when you read what was written in the article and, and my, it was more a sort of what my feelings were. And people want answers in the World Cup, and you're talking in hindsight. And I, I felt as a player group, and, and obviously me being the captain of that group, is that that we could have done more, that we should have taken more responsibility, and and that was my point. And and people sort of put headlines on that yeah. they say weren't reflective and I think anyone that, that knows me and, and my feelings towards Joe and, and how tight we've been over the last certainly nearly four years as captain know that like he's the best coach I've ever worked with I think he's one of the best coaches in the world and and I just felt a wee bit let down that it looked like I threw him under the bus because that was was never my intention like I say I we did at the time we did everything that we felt was right and I was just looking back and trying to reflect on a bit of hindsight and and I was just a bit annoyed that 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 was the way it was portrayed because like I say people have forgotten what what Joe has done so Rory certainly uh, rowing back a little bit there on his comments that he made um, that were taken as a criticism of uh, of Joe Schmidt, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's it's the time we're living in. I suppose anything that's said is automatically a headline, um, generated for clicks and all that kind of crack. Absolutely, it, it it like it may have been a slight criticism. It may have been a little bit critical. But people just like you say, they jump on the bandwagon as soon as they hear too much. Like, quote, yeah. too much anything. So too much detail then is obviously misconstrued as, oh, he's slamming Schmidt <laughs> and he's slamming, you know. And like, you'll yeah. see, like you say, you'll see, you'll see all the clickbaity things and it's just like, oh, listen to what he had to say and all this. It's all rubbish, you know, it's all rubbish. Yeah, fair play to him for coming out and saying that last night as well. But yeah, that was uh, his comments uh, on Joe Schmidt's and... Uh, Certainly getting uh, taken and blown up and, uh, as uh, Rory said himself, uh, getting blown out of proportion. All right, just get you updated on a couple of scores. Liverpool still scoreless in the big one, the FIFA Club World Cup final against Flamengo. <laughs> 66 minutes on the clock there. Uh, Manchester City are taking on Leicester City. It is uh, Man City leading by two goals to one. Uh, 67 minutes on the clock there. Elsewhere, Munster are currently in action. Uh, away to Connacht and the latest score from there. It's uh, Connacht 14, uh, Munster 19, five minutes there uh, for left for Munster to uh, hang on and get the win and what will be a, a very uh, hard-fought uh, game. Uh, but uh, certainly looking uh, OK there with five minutes to go. All right, coming up on the Big Red Bench uh, tomorrow from 6pm, we're going to be uh, talking to uh, race driver Luca Allen. Uh, he was in earlier on this week. He won the Formula 4 World Championship last week. Uh, which is an incredible achievement and uh, he certainly has a huge future ahead of him um, so we'll be doing that I'm still debating whether or not we can get away with playing an hour of Christmas songs oh let's if the boss is listening my oh. text us the Big Red Bench Christmas classics oh let's take the chance I think we should take the chance we mightn't even play them we might just do a cappella versions of our <laughs> own one which I think would sound great we have lovely voices Roy we're always singing I have a beautiful opposite. singing voice very like Celine Dion um, so we might get away with that we'll see how that goes tomorrow so that'll be on the show as well and uh, we'll have plenty more stuff as well alright we're pretty much out of time thank you very much indeed uh, for tuning our way this evening on this uh, final Saturday before the big man comes on Wednesday uh, we're back tomorrow from 6pm if you want to get it, uh, in touch with us you can follow us on Twitter at Big Red Bench and our podcast will be online uh, tonight uh, fm.ie and redextra.ie and from wherever you get your podcast from we'll have uh, tonight's interviews with uh, Declan Carey uh, Kieran Kingston and uh, Ray Carey or uh, Ray Casey excuse me um, on the uh, podcast this evening alright we're out of time Stevie's up next enjoy the rest of your Saturday night folks and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 6 
The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.